0: Before we begin, the competition to win a copy of Ghosts of Edinburgh ended on Halloween and the winner is Lewis Rogers. Congratulations Lewis and thanks to everybody who entered. There is another competition running which will end on Christmas Eve. This time it's to win a copy of Ghosts of York. Hang around until the end of this episode to find out how to enter. Now on with the show.
1: I'm in a big, wet room with The doors on the floor to get across. The floor's so wet because the ceiling's dripping. And I've just seen something moving out the corner of my eye and I heard heard a noise like a shuffle. Um, I'm a little bit freaked out, so I'm going to go and rejoin the others and tell them what's happened. I
0: didn't like that at all. In 1985, a tunnel was found by a Scottish international rugby player that led to an enormous underground complex that had once been a thriving lawless city beneath Edinburgh. It had never exactly been lost as nobody knew it had existed as a place of human habitation before. As its history was pieced together in the years and decades that followed, one thing soon became very clear. This is a very paranormally active place indeed, with one malevolent phantom in particular being very unappreciative of the visitors who come here daily on tours. I investigated this location a decade ago and encountered this foul-mouthed, dangerous entity for myself in what quickly escalated into the most dangerous investigation I've ever led. Tonight, join me as we head beneath the city streets and investigate Edinburgh vaults. Welcome to episode 10 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location. And of course, the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week we head to Edinburgh Scotland and ask the question, just how haunted are the Edinburgh vaults?
1: Listener, Listener discretion is advised,
0: is advanced, as each, each episode of How Haunted, Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, happenings bloody murder, and ghosts. So, so many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. Despite being a relatively recent chapter in Edinburgh's history, the story of the South Bridge Vaults is mysteriously sketchy. The vaults are a series of chambers formed in the 19 arches of the South Bridge. Which was completed in 1788, the South Bridge was built as far more than a simple crossing from the Old Town to Southside. It was actually Edinburgh's first purpose-built shopping street. With this in mind, around 120 vaults were built beneath the surface of the South Bridge, to be used as storage space for the businesses on the bridge. South Bridge officially opened for business on the 1st of March 1788, and locals avoided it initially, as it was believed that the street was cursed due to an untimely death. Upon the bridge's completion, it was deemed a fitting honour that the south bridge's eldest resident, the respected wife to a local judge, should be the first to cross this architectural marvel. Sadly, in the week leading up to her big day she died. Alternative options were considered, but with promises made to the lady's family, it was decided that she should still be the first person to cross the bridge, even if it was in a coffin. Some locals were appalled and declared the bridge to be cursed, such was the superstition in the day that many of the locals totally avoided the bridge, believing to cross it would bring death to themselves or a loved one. Instead, they would take the much longer and much less practical route through the deep valley of the Cowgate. However, the south bridge would become hugely successful, and land upon the bridge was fetching more per square feet than anywhere else in Europe. The underground vaults however weren't thriving in the same manner and only operated as planned for less than a decade. Construction of the bridge had been rushed and the surface was never sealed against water. The vaults began to flood. Abandonment of the vaults as a viable option for storage began as early as 1795. With the vaults being gradually left abandoned and ignored by the businesses on the bridge, the empty rooms were adopted and adapted for enterprising new users who had no permission and right to be there. Slum dwellers took it and it became a renowned red light district, with countless brothels and pubs operating within the abandoned complex. The vaults also served as additional slum housing for the city's poor. Living conditions were appalling. The rooms were cramped, damp and dark. There was no sunlight, heating, poorly circulated air, no sanitation and no running water. Many of the small rooms acted as makeshift homes to families of more than 10 people. Crime, including robbery, rape and murder was rife in the shadowy and lawless underground vaults. It's been written that Berg and Hare, the infamous serial killers who sold corpses to Dr Robert Knox, are rumoured to have hunted for victims here in 1827 and 1828, amongst the city's poorest residents who still called the vaults home. By around 1835 the conditions in the vaults had deteriorated to the extreme, making it impossible for anyone to live or operate there, and the vault complex closed down for good. It's not known when or why, but in the years that followed, tons of rubble were dumped into the vaults, making it inaccessible, and with that, they were completely forgotten. No one remembered the vaults, no one spoke of the vaults, and since nothing of the vaults unsanctioned use was ever documented, it seemed they were completely lost to history. However, that was to change in 1985, when a former Scotland international rugby player found a strange tunnel which led beneath the South Bridge, and into the long lost labyrinth of rooms and chambers that make up the South Bridge vaults. It was only during the subsequent excavations that it was discovered that people had actually lived in the vaults, when rubbish pits were identified containing toys, medicine bottles, plates, clay pipes, damaged stoneware and horseshoes. Today, a section of the vaults on the north side of the Cowgate Archer open to the public for daily ghost tours, ran by Mercat tours. These spaces have lost none of their original atmosphere. They are dark, claustrophobic, and the ghost-seeking tourists who come to Edinburgh all year round flock to the Edinburgh vaults. Paranormal happenings are reported so regularly that The Vaults have been described by the BBC as possibly one of the most haunted places in Britain. This quote was made following a BBC TV programme recorded at The Vaults in 2009, which out on BBC Three in January 2010. It was a one off special called Joe Swash Believes in Ghosts, with a one man ghost hunt starring the former EastEnders and winner of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. Joe heard nothing unusual during his overnight stay in the vaults. However, inexplicable voices were captured, which were truly spectacular. One voice appeared to be that of a Catholic priest reciting the last rites. Swash himself heard nothing, but the voices continued to be heard on the recording for 20 minutes. At this point, there's a sound like children yelling, and then all voices cease. BBC sound engineer studied the EVPs and initially thought the sound may be coming from a nearby bar or nightclub. However, they proved that this wasn't the case. The voices were coming from inside the vaults. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good.
2: I'm Joe. Nice to meet you. I'm Danny. Nice to meet you, Danny. Come and sit down. Right, so... I've been called to the studio where they've been editing my film. they found something strange on the tapes from the Edinburgh vaults. Talking.
3: Did you hear that at the time?
2: I didn't hear that when I was in... That is ridiculous. How long did that going on for?
3: It's... It's about 15, 20 minutes.
2: No way. What, 15, 20 minutes? That yeah. noise was coming through.
3: Yeah, all the way through.
2: And there's someone... That's definitely someone talking.
3: Yeah. It sounds like it's one person
2: it, it sounds like someone's reading something it's, it's like like someone's reading a prayer or...
3: someone suggested it sounded a bit like last rites
2: that's made everything on my back on my head just all stand <laughs> up look like, like my nipples have all
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> what, what explanation
3: could there be for that when we first found out there was a club Above it. Yeah. We thought, oh, actually, it is and It'll be the club's me, it could be someone in, in the club, cleaners. But it's not a cleaners' conversation. No. And we've actually got some of the, the sound from the when, club when the club was still. Yeah, because it was on it, for, for a couple of hours. Right. So that's the loud. Imagine how loud that music is in the club.
2: And I could hear that quite, you could feel that kind of, You can hear it over the top of the music.
3: Exactly. So it's not physically possible for that voice that we heard to be coming from the club. That's what we all thought, first of all, like, it must be from the club, but it can't be.
2: And it can't be a conversation with someone else because there's no there's no gap. No. There's no gap for a player. It's, no, just, it's, it's just it's... A rolled off a, a monologue. Yeah.
3: It's not... Um, the microphone picking up, you know, a radio signal, I mean, you're under the ground, because as well as it being on the camera that's locked off on you, Mm -hmm. you can hear it less so on your microphone. So it can't be a camera fault. That's ridiculous. That's
2: really, really freaky. It stops abruptly.
3: (laughs) To me, personally, I perceive it as a child. Yeah, that's what I have thought. It was quite high-pitched. And then, the, I mean, the talking, which has been going for sort of 15, 20 minutes, then just stops.
2: Every little noise I was hearing, like, there's a pin drop, I'd have heard a pin drop. So, so for you to say that there was that noise hanging around me and I didn't hear it, then for me, that kind of cements it in my mind that it's got to have been something supernatural. If I'd heard that, I'd have been out there in this shot. It's one of those things that you just can't explain, innit? You'll never be able to explain what it is.
0: Living TV's Most Haunted feature two shows from the Southbridge vaults, one of which was part of their Halloween 2006 Most Haunted Live, and the American Ghost Show Ghost Adventurers have also investigated the vaults. The paranormal occurrences here are said to take many forms, Including, but not restricted to, cold spots, eerie lights, strange swirling mists, disembodied footsteps, the barking and crying of dogs, torches, cameras and other electronic devices failing. There were also two resident ghosts, but you'll hear all about them next, as I will tell you all about what happened during my investigation there, almost exactly a decade ago. It was one of the most incredible and terrifying investigations I've ever been part of. the 3rd 2012 I investigated the vaults as part of my book Ghosts of Edinburgh along with my brother Tom and my good friends and teammates Richard Stokoe and John Crozier. I will now read an abridged section of that chapter from my book and tell you all about what happened when we headed underground at 10am on a Saturday morning, that's right morning, to see what the vaults had to offer. There is an enhanced version of this episode available to Patreon supporters right now which will include actual audio from the investigation.
1: Curiosity's got a better, reason. not I've come to stand in the room where I saw something on my own. It's fight or flight, and initially me uh, instinct was to, to flee. But now I've come back to see what's going on. I mean, ultimately, that's why I don't hold me, arse Bonnie Scotland. If I'm going to run away when I actually do see something or feel something, then I'm probably wasting my time being here.
0: Sarah from Mercat Tours, who operate the vaults, met us in the small office as the vaults weren't open to the public yet. She took us down into the dark vaults as she was going to light candles in the rooms for the preparation for the tours beginning at midday. As we entered the dank warren of chambers and Sarah began to light candles, flames flickered and danced strange shadows moved on the walls. The atmosphere was tense, and the air was cold to the point where I could see my breath. Sarah didn't tell us anything of the place, and that suited us just fine. The less we knew the better, and we didn't want ideas planted in our minds, giving us clues as to what we were supposed to expect. We wanted our experiences to be our own, and if we found out afterwards that they matched up with what Sarah and the other people working here had experienced, all the better. Sarah returned to her office upstairs to carry on with her paperwork. She left us in a room called the White Room, named for its whitewashed walls. This room meant nothing to the others, but this was a room that I'd heard of, and it's gained an infamous reputation as being the most haunted room here, in the vaults. I decided to keep this to myself. It was eerily quiet. The only noise was a constant rustle of a Marks and Spencer's carrier bag that John clutched in his right hand. He'd brought an apple, some chocolate, a can of pop and a big heavy hardback novel. I would have asked why he brought a book along on a ghost hunt and when he was thinking there might be time for him to sit down and read a chapter or two. However, knowing John as long as I have now, this is simply the kind of thing he does. We only had two hours. Time was at a premium, so I suggested that we begin our investigation in the White Room and then reassess our position after 15 minutes. Everyone agreed and John who by now had pretty much made the role of Asker outer his own, began to do his thing. John asked for proof that we weren't alone, but we heard and we saw nothing. John said he did find the room quite oppressive, but the other three of us all felt fine. 10.15am came far too soon, and we moved on. We split into two groups. John went with Rich and Tom joined me. Rich and John walked off to the far end of the vaults, While Tom and I left the white room, turned left and stopped at two vaulted rooms nearby. I went into a room with rubble on the floor, a dim light on the wall and six small alcoves at the back of the room. Tom was opposite me in a room with a really low ceiling and with him being six foot three it was impossible for him to stand up straight. We stood quietly for five minutes, listening out for anything out of the ordinary. We couldn't hear Rich and John but we could hear an irregular clicking noise that seemed to be coming from further down the corridor. We listened to it for a few minutes and it continued, so we went to check it out. We found ourselves in a large room which opened up above us, to a room twice the height of the rooms we'd been in up until now. It was clear what the sound was that we'd heard. It was the drip, drip, drip of water coming from the ceiling above. The room was so damp that stalactites had formed. And the water was running down them and dripping onto the floor below. With the dripping noise accounted for, we returned to the two much smaller rooms. If there's someone here with us, let us know, I said quietly as Tom and I stood still in our respective rooms. Touch one of us. Show yourself. Say something. Come on, we know you're here, so why not just show us what you're capable of? I challenged. We waited in silence for five minutes. I heard and saw nothing but I could feel the energy in the vaults changing, as if there was something going to happen. However, it wasn't going to happen just yet. We made our way through the huge open room and treaded carefully across the boggy floor. We found Rich and John in a corridor just beyond. It appeared they'd had as little success as us. As we discussed our next move, I took a few photos, and in the first photo, I was surprised to see a huge ball of light right in front of me in the image. You can see this image yourself over on the Instagram at howhauntedpod. I'm not usually impressed by orbs and that's a statement that may not go down too well with some of my fellow ghost hunters who believe that orbs are a form of manifestation of spirit and my experience are almost always insects, dust or precipitation hanging in the air. However it was difficult to tell exactly what this was as it appeared so large and so bright compared to the smaller orbs which are clearly dust. As we gathered around my camera to try and establish if this was something or nothing There was a metallic noise right next to us where we were stood. It sounded like something bouncing off the wall. Was something just thrown at us? Rich asked the question I'd been about to ask. It could have been. Stone thrown is one of the more commonly reported happenings down here. It could have just as easily have been something falling from the ceiling and hitting the ground. I had a look around and found a nail on the ground behind where Rich was stood. Could this have been the object that had made the noise? We had no way to know for sure, but we tried to ignore it for now and move on. We moved into a large room which was even wetter than the room in which Tom and I had heard the dripping earlier. It was so wet that planks would wood had been laid out on the floor from one door to the other, making it possible to pass through the room without sinking into the muddy ground. We used up a further ten minutes in this room, and then moved into another large room which had a peculiar gate in one corner. As the guys made attempts to communicate with the phantoms that lurk here, I went off myself to explore what was behind the big heavy gate. The creaking of the gate was deafening, as if it hadn't been moved in years. I shut it behind me and walked into a narrow corridor, which was so dark I was unable to see my hand in front of my face. I took my head torch from my pocket and slipped the elasticated strap around my head. I clicked it on and the bright light ran off ahead of me, flooding the corridor. There was a wooden door at the far end, I slowly made my way towards it being careful to avoid walking face first into the dozens of cobwebs constructed by the arachnid occupants of this particular corner of the vaults. I reached the wooden door and tried the handle, it was locked. This room will just have to remain a mystery for another day, I didn't have time to consider it, there were ghosts just waiting to be found in the areas of the vaults that we could access. I returned to Rich, Tom and John drawing yet another blank. With 45 minutes gone we returned to the white room. It seemed like something might happen earlier and it was time to give it one more chance. Now we'd been down here in the dark for a short while, I had almost forgotten that it was daytime outside in the world above. The first thing I noticed when I ducked beneath the entrance and entered the white room was that my big heavy ghost hunting case had been knocked over. It's a really sturdy case designed to be stood up on the bottom or laid on its side and there's no way it would just topple over, especially with us being underground, there are no drafts whatsoever and there was no one in the vaults except us. We stood silently in the room. After a couple of minutes I walked out of the white room and stood outside looking in at the guys. What are you doing? asked Tom. I don't know, I said uncertain of myself. I just had an urge to step outside. It was a strange sensation, as even though it was only a few seconds earlier, I couldn't actually recall doing it, let alone what had persuaded me to do it. I heard a noise to my right as I stood facing the white room. I decided to go and check it out on my own the others were going to try the frank's box also known as the spirit box to see if they could make contact with the past residents of the white room i had my voice recorder in one hand and my torch on my head it was switched off as the vaults were bright enough to move around safely with the candle sarah had lit earlier i took my time and on my own i explored every single room in the vaults slowly methodically silently using all of my senses eager to get a lead something anything that would ensure that the second hour of our investigation down here would be productive as i explored the dark damp atmospheric vaults all on my own i entered one of the rooms and out of the corner of my eye i saw something a man i didn't even turn and look i headed straight back in the direction of the others partially because i needed somebody else to see this to corroborate that what i was seeing wasn't just my imagination and partially because it gave me a fright and I was thinking safety in numbers. I got maybe two or three steps away from where I was and then I had a change of heart and I turned around and I returned back to where I'd been. I didn't say anything but I stood alone and I asked out for whoever it was to return to me to come back and make some kind of contact give me some kind of sign that it wasn't just my imagination, and somebody else had been with me. I heard nothing, I saw nothing, and I quickly returned to the others. As I neared the room I heard the others talking over a static hiss of the white noise coming from the Franks box, and they sounded excited. I picked up pace, keen to see what I had been missing. It said it again, whispered Tom excitedly to Rich and John, as I slipped back into the room and noticed, like a ninja. ''Said what?'' I whispered to the others. ''F*** off,'' said Rich turning to face me. ''All right mate, I was only asking,'' I said raising my hands in self-defence, although I had no idea what I'd done to merit that kind of reaction. ''No man,'' said Rich defusing the awkward situation like an experienced bomb disposal expert. ''Pretty much since you left, we've been speaking to a man through the Franks box, and he's responded to every single question we've asked by telling us to f*** off.'' I was speechless. I looked at John and Tom in turn. They were both grinning and nodding back at me. "'What is your name?' I asked. We waited silently, listening to the box scan through frequencies rapidly. "'F*** off!' came the crystal clear reply. My jaw almost hit the floor. In that one offensive phrase, my Frank's box had paid back every single penny of the £58.38 that it cost me. It was now that I also noticed the thick, oppressive atmosphere that filled the room. "'When did you die?' asked Tom. We waited, but we didn't have to wait long. F*** you. That was a new one, said John, very matter-of-factly. How long has this been going on? I asked quietly. Since you left around ten minutes ago, Tom responded. We were in uncharted waters. We'd encountered unwelcoming spirits before, but nothing like this. What's more, we weren't just communicating with any spirit here. This was undoubtedly the foul mouth of Mr. Boots. I hadn't told the others any of the history or ghost stories of the vaults prior to our visit, so for them to experience this level of animosity with no prior knowledge was astounding. The best known residual spirit in Southbridge Vaults is that of a man nicknamed Mr Boots for the black overcoat and large black boots that he is said to wear. He is a malevolent entity, and it can't be proven historically, but psychics who have visited the vaults claim that he was once a landlord down here in the heyday of the vaults. Eyewitnesses who have been unfortunate enough to encounter him have described him as having no eyeballs in his hollow sockets and he has a leering grin with teeth like jagged yellow tombstones. He considers the vaults to be his place and hates people coming down here to visit. He's been heard yelling get out and whispering obscenities in people's ears. He has pushed people down the staircase and he has scratched and bitten people. In 2011, he attacked one lady on a tour, splitting her head open so badly that the tour guide had to add an entry to the accident book. On another occasion he was blamed for a young girl fainting on a tour. Eyewitnesses claimed that a smoky presence appeared behind the girl and lunged into her body, causing her to faint and fall over. One couple alleged that the girl took on the features of a morbid, bearded man as she collapsed. Having researched the vaults thoroughly. I knew that this particularly nasty phantom is capable of far more than just swearing at us, so we had a difficult decision to make. Stay here and attempt to provoke him into doing more than telling us to f*** off, or walk away from probably one of the most convincing paranormal experiences any of us have ever had. It was a decision we didn't have to make. Mr Boots made it for us. I decided to ask a few more questions and see what responses we got in return, then weigh it up. Can you do anything else? Can you show yourself or touch one of us? If you do this, we'll leave. F*** off, came the almost immediate reply. We're not going anywhere, I dared to challenge. We're going to stay here until you make us leave, I said firmly. F*** off, he said again. No, you f*** off, I replied angrily. You're not capable of doing anything more than swear at us. We've had enough of it, and we all know you're not powerful enough to do anything more. Was I pushing my luck? Only one way to find out. This time we got a different response and I knew immediately that I'd made a mistake. I'd gone too far. Did he just say which? Asked Tom confused. No, I said solemnly. He said watch. Watch? That's a bit strange, mumbled Tom. The three of them didn't seem too concerned. But I was concerned. It sounded like Mr. Boots had just accepted my challenge and we would have to be on guard for the next 45 minutes until we could leave the vault that we were now locked in. "'What do you mean?' Tom asked. "'But this time he got no response and I didn't expect him to. "'The atmosphere in the room had lifted. "'He tried again and again and again, but heard nothing in reply. "'Let's move on,' suggested John. "'Whatever was here has stopped talking to us "'and we've only got 40 minutes left. "'We left the white room and headed left. "'We followed the main path through the vaults "'and found ourselves a few minutes later in the really damp room. "'Did you see that?' I said, stopping suddenly. "'No one had seen anything.' When we entered the room I was bringing up the rear. I was immediately drawn to my left where I had this overwhelming feeling of being watched. I looked over to the left to a really damp corner of the room and saw what appeared to be a tall, shadowy figure standing perfectly still. I looked towards the other to see if they had seen it. They were still walking ahead so can't have done. When I looked back there was nothing there. Since no one else had seen anything I had to think twice about even telling them in case they thought I was overreacting or imagining things. But I've been in this game too long to be prone to flights of fancy. So I told them anyway, it's what we do. If you think you've heard, seen or felt something, no matter how outlandish it may sound we always speak up. They didn't ridicule me, but since no one could corroborate what I thought I'd seen I'm going to assume it was my imagination. We spent some time in this room trying to stir up some activity but it fell flat and our 10 minutes passed by without anything of note occurring. We had a little under 30 minutes left so we agreed to stay together and carry out one last vigil in the hope of going out of the vaults with a bang. We were passing through the large room with a metal gate in the corner when Rich stopped ahead of me and exclaimed "Whoa!" and at the same time Tom said did you see that. John said he had but I was in the dark, I had no idea what had happened. Rich had seen an object whiz past him at speed and crash against the stone wall ahead. Tom had seen the same thing. We tried to establish if one of us could have done it by accident. There were loose stones on the ground so I suggested I may have kicked it as I'd walked and it might have passed Rich and hit the wall. I tried to recreate this but the only way I could do it was by having a proper swing and kick at a stone, not just by walking normally. As we discussed possibilities there was a loud noise like a stone striking a wall hard. All four of us heard it clearly and it made Tom jump and involuntarily swear as it hit the wall near to where he was stood. None of us were moving at the time so there was no way one of us could have accidentally kicked or knocked a stone. Perhaps this is what Mr. Boots had meant when he'd said watch, although I decided to keep this suggestion to myself. Although with stones being thrown, there was another possibility. The other ghost resident of the vaults is that of a young boy called Jack. He is a mischievous, playful spirit, who has been seen in full-bodied form wearing a blue jacket. He tugs on people's hands. Some people have even said they felt him hold their hand. He threw stones around for fun. No one knows how he died, but it's believed he vanished in 1810 at the age of six, and his disappearance was never solved, causing him to remain here. He may be linked to Mr. Boots, and it's been suggested that Mr. Boots may have even been his murderer. During one of the vault tours, a lady claimed that he appeared to her and said, please go, he's coming back, please go. As we talked, we heard a laugh in the room with us. It may have been a shriek. But since we were talking at the time it was difficult to establish exactly what the sound was. Even listening back to the recording the noise is there but it's impossible to understand with us talking. We had 15 minutes left and had to decide whether to stay here and see if anything else would happen or return to the white room. We decided to stay where we were but John and I had left our bags in the white room and I wanted my big box of tricks in case I needed to set an experiment up in a hurry. I offered to return to the white room alone And leave the other three in this room to keep the communication up with whoever was with us i was back within a minute and i quietly set the paracorda 667 up on a shelf this device would light up and make a sound should a spirit touch it but it was also pumping out electromagnetic fields which it said can help to give a spirit additional energy we asked for anyone with us to give us a sign that we weren't alone and another stone was thrown it whizzed past my head literally no more than a few inches from the side of my face, and clattered off the metal gate in the far corner. Can you do that again for us, please? A candle in the corner of the room began to flicker wildly, then grew really large, then shrank away to almost nothing, a mere pinprick of light, before returning to normal. Can you throw something at us? Another stone hit the wall close to us. We continued for a few more minutes, but nothing happened, and our time had ran out much too soon. It was time to bring our investigation to a close after a truly eventful two hours. We made our way out to the office and thanked Sarah for her time. She asked how it had gone, and we chatted for a few minutes. She told us they often hear footsteps down there, and they regularly have stones thrown. She added recently that a tour guide named Alex was down in the vaults alone, and he said to himself, I'm the only one down here, and a voice behind him said, I'm here. She said she won't go down into the vaults alone so was glad that we were there so she could go and light the candles otherwise she would have had to wait for another member of staff to come into work and accompany her underground. Just after midday we emerged out into the bright sunshine which took a few moments to tolerate after being underground for the last two hours. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at HowHauntedPod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod where you'll see photos galore relating to the Edinburgh vaults If you want to get in touch you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob-haunted.com Feedback, location suggestions and your own experiences are all more than welcome Feel free to ask me any questions you like and I'll answer them all in a dedicated Q&A podcast episode. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to episodes, you can join the Patreon for less than the price of a pint. You'll also get exclusive episodes where you can join me on an actual paranormal investigation and hear the audio as it happened. If you aren't a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation to the podcast, why not buy me a coffee? All the information on how you can support How Haunted is on the podcast description and on the website. If you've enjoyed this episode, if enjoy is the right word, then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. I have a brand new competition starting where you can win a copy of the book Ghosts of York. If you'd like to enter, it's incredibly easy to do. All you need to do is follow me on Twitter and or Instagram. My username for both is HowHauntedPod. You'll get one entry for each, so you can enter twice by following on both. The competition will end on Christmas Eve 2022, and the winner will be announced on Twitter and the first podcast episode after the closing date. Next time out, we'll head to the other side of the world, where we'll go to Australia and take a look at a former psychiatric hospital, which first opened to patients in 1867. Some of the world's most controversial psychiatric procedures were conducted here, on patients as young as 12, in an attempt to treat misunderstood mental illnesses. This included lobotomies and electroshock therapy. It only closed as an asylum in 1993. During its 126 years of operation, over 13,000 inmates, patients and staff members are said to have died at the asylum. Today, there are countless reports of apparitions, disembodied sounds including screaming and crying, visitors experiencing nausea, fainting, being pushed, bitten and scratched, Could this be the single most haunted location in all of Australia? Let's find out together next week when we head down under and take a look at the Arredale Lunatic Asylum. Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe and join me next time when we will once again ask the question How haunted?